0: Cause jumping off my Chinese heart
1: Welcome to Yarns at Yenhu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode one hundred and ninety. Our friend Row Gauge. Sunday, February fourth, twenty eighteen. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yenhu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. For each episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode includes the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, chin wagon, ever-expanding skill set, and gratitude journal. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode. It's so good to be back with you after a few weekends of much needed rest. February is National Embroidery Month. Are you embroidering anything? I have begun very slowly to work on a portrait of Virginia Woolf. When I was at Rhinebeck, I purchased a book of feminist icons in cross-stitch. The book provides detailed directions and patterns for cross-stitching a whole variety of feminine icons through the decades, through the centuries, from some very contemporary people and all the way back to Cleopatra. And so I have selected a portrait of Virginia Woolf I have solicited some input from a colleague who does a lot of different crafting but she does cross stitch in particular and I've seen her working on it in various places in the hallways and so I just wanted to ask her a few newbie beginner beginner questions and I showed her what I was working on and she gave me some suggestions. She also gave me a very very small embroidery hoop which is helpful because the piece of fabric into which I'm embroidering is very small, and I hadn't really thought about that before I was about to begin. She gave me some pointers, and so I have begun work on the flesh tones of Virginia Woolf's face, so my cross-stitch does not look like very much so far, but I hope in coming days that it will start to materialize as a portrait. I also picked up a pair of drugstore uh, magnifying glasses to help me along, and I I don't think it would be possible for me to work on this project without them. I'm also relying very heavily on my light with a magnifier on it to do this cross-stitching. And when it's done, I guess one of the motivating factors is that when it's done, I intend to put it in this little frame. One of the purchases I made at Brooklyn Haberdashery when I visited their booth at Rhinebeck was that I bought this very small frame with embroidery fabric already in it. And it's this beautiful kind of paisley design. And I just think it will be perfect for a portrait. It's not wide enough for me to get the word Virginia into the frame the cross stitch patterns have the name of the feminist icon pictured that you can cross stitch the name in I think I can fit wolf but definitely not Virginia it's too wide so I look forward to working on that and uh, I don't know about finishing it during the month of February but at some point having a lovely framed portrait of Virginia Woolf, my very first cross stitch. And it is not as intimidating as I thought. Um, it does involve counting, as the name counter cross stitch would suggest. But once you get into the rhythm of it, it's not that intimidating. And I also learned a few things from my colleague, Jen, about the fact that you don't necessarily need to put a complete X in each space that sometimes you can fool around with the shaping, especially when you're talking about facial features, sometimes you can fool around with the shaping of a stitch by just stitching half of the square or stitching in one direction only. So that's been very helpful and it's allowed me to think a little more creatively about what I see in the pattern. If you're cross-stitching or doing any other kind of embroidery or needlework, I would love to see it. I would love to know about it. I use the hashtag #EmbroiderMore for everything that I do in my crafting that involves embroidery. And so that's a great way to take a look at what I've been up to and you're more than welcome to use the same hashtag for your projects. During the month of January, I completed three projects, all designed by Caitlin Hunter, all in beautiful blacker yarns, and they form my first ever matching set. It's not completely matchy-matchy, but the colors and the designs are compatible enough that I really have enjoyed wearing all three of these things together, something for the head, the hands, and the neck. Last time I recorded, I was talking about being near completion on the aura. It's a beautiful big shawl with a cabled center spine and some texture, some fringe, some tassels, and it's in three colors. I have completed that. It's in beautiful blacker yarn, Samite, which has a lovely silk content and wonderful drape. It's a big shawl. It's really a statement piece, but the colors are muted enough that it goes with a lot of things in my wardrobe, and it's really, really Comfortable to wear, but quite warm. And I I think this is really an all season shawl. It's light enough for summertime, and the silk content makes it warm enough for winter wear. I have really been enjoying that shawl. Putting on the fringe was a labor of love. It takes a long time, it's a little fiddly. It it took me a while to establish what would be the appropriate length. At first, I was trimming my fringe a little short. It was stubby and sticking out, and so I painstakingly removed everything that I had done and then started over again. Another thing about the fringe for Ora is it takes a lot of yarn. And because I made a mistake with one of the rows and had to pull out quite a bit of yarn that was in little tiny pieces and couldn't be used anymore, I couldn't really put um, all of the fringe in the exact colors I had planned. So I ended up breaking it up a little bit with with the different colors I had remaining. But it's beautiful. I love it. And I'm pairing it with the Ulu Mitts and the Cardamom Coffee hat. I knit both of these projects with blacker yarns brushwork. It's a beautiful plush sport to DK weight. I would say it plumps so much I think it could be treated almost as a DK weight but it's very light and airy. It's voluminous and the colors are actually so sumptuous that I just am in love, in love with this color combination. So I used Smudge, Stipple, and Splosh. It's a a deep purple, a more lilac purple, and then Splosh is that color that's sort of yellow or green, depending on how you look at it, but very, very bright. And this was a great combination for the mitts, The mitts were designed with worsted weight yarn in mind, and so I went up to the largest pattern size to knit those. And since I have quite large hands and quite long fingers, the row gauge that I found with knitting them proved to be really wonderful. However, when I used the same yarn brushwork to knit The hat, Cardamom Coffee, which was designed for fingering weight yarn, I ran into a bit of challenge with my row gauge. I knit this hat in the child size, and my cast-on was actually 14 stitches fewer than what's called for in the child size. I cast-on, of course, with a tubular cast-on. And the pattern worked up so beautifully in this brushwork, but I was unable to complete it unless I wanted a really super slouchy hat, which I did not. I wanted this to be a little more fitted. And so I needed to take some liberties um, in the second part of Caitlin Hunter's beautiful pattern design in order to get everything to resolve and to reduce the number of rounds that I was knitting quite significantly. I thought I would be able to escape this problem since I used the same size needles that were called for in the pattern, but I think with the plumper yarn, you know, I just couldn't fudge the row gauge in any way. So I'm really pleased with the way it turned out Caitlin Hunter's design has sort of stacked motifs and they're very um, they're very reminiscent of Art Deco, um, wallpaper, like a really big, bold design. And so in my hat, it's more like a single motif with a little more ornate business in the top portion. It's not two distinct motifs. I would love to knit the hat again and, and knit her entire design. It's very beautiful. But for now, I'm super pleased with this hat. The brushwork is so warm because it really holds air. And especially in a hat that is knit with you know a stranded colorwork design, it's almost completely double thick the whole way through and is wonderfully warm, next to skin soft, quite durable. I mean, I've had it stuffed in my bag. I've pulled it on and off my head. It's it's just really beautiful, and the stitch definition in the color work looks amazing. Brushwork is coming back to the woolly thistle in some limited kind of leftover quantities from the initial run, and I'm hoping to score a little more of it when it arrives because I would love To knit a sweater with this yarn Um, I think it would just be sort of the sweater of a lifetime something beautiful and wonderful and easy to wear next to skin soft so I'll, I'll see how I do with that score when Claire announces that the brushwork has arrived at the woolly thistle in the meantime I have some projects on the front porch One of which is Humulus, a sweater design by Isabel Kramer. This is a top-down colorwork yoke sweater. It's very simple. It's just a background color and a contrast color for the yoke. And the design is absolutely beautiful, intertwining hops. And I've decided to knit this sweater in Let Way back when I was just... A baby crocheter. I didn't even know how to knit. My sister Laura gave me quite a collection of yarn. I think she got it from a colleague whose relative had passed away. I put this yarn, as I always put yarn with a questionable origin, into a very tightly sealed bin and I haven't thought about it very much since. In fact, it's really strange that I haven't given this yarn away because it held no appeal for me at the time. I had no appreciation for something like Icelandic yarn at that time. It certainly wasn't appropriate for crochet, and that's the only thing I knew how to do. But there was quite a substantial amount of it, and I must have thought that you know maybe someday I would use it for something. My memory of this yarn is that it was black, but it's actually a very beautiful charcoal gray. I have 17 skeins of it, well over 1,000 yards. I think it's over 1,500 yards. And so I decided that it would be a really appropriate yarn choice for the Humulus sweater. The pattern is a gift from Mary Beth, and I have selected a very golden color, Let for the contrast color. It arrived lickety-split from the woolly thistle. And so this weekend, I can continue working on the colorwork yoke for this sweater. I'm knitting the size medium one, and I'm knitting it with the needles called for in the pattern. I think it's five and six. Instead of doing a swatch, I just cast on for the sweater and then measured my row gauge in the round as I was knitting the, the neckline and doing some of the very clever short row shaping. Um, short row shaping with increases in it, which I don't think I've done in the neckline of a sweater before. And so it seems to, to fit the way that I wanted I usually like my sweaters to be quite fitted but I think because this is not next to skin soft that I'll want to be able to wear at least one layer over under the sweater and so um a little bit more ease is appropriate I think and I'm I'm ready to start the color work so the let lopey is beautiful it's um it has soft fibers and much more wiry ones, and it's so warm for its weight. That's really the thing, is that a sweater inlet Lope will be so comfortable and just the right thing when you want a lot of warmth, but not really much bulk. So you want to be outside in the cold and not have a coat, essentially, but be able to just layer up with um, maybe a few under layers and then this incredible sweater. So I'm looking forward to working on that. So far, the patterns and designers I've mentioned are Caitlin Hunter with the Ora, Ulu, and Cardamom Coffee and Isabel Kramer with the Humulus sweater. For Chinwagon today, I'd like to talk a little bit about using Flexi Flips, a new sort of knitting needle from Skisel. They're Addy needles, and they are a combination of a fixed circular and a double pointed needle. So if you if you've heard of flexi-flips already, and you know what they are, you can certainly let your mind wander freely. But if you haven't heard of them, I think a bit of explanation is warranted because it's, it's something unlike any other kind of knitting needle I've encountered before. Flexi-flips come in a package of three, which would be equivalent to a set of five double-pointed needles. Each of these three needles is just over eight inches long. It consists of two metal tips, which are three and a quarter inches each. And then there's just a very short one and a half inch cable connecting them. So you have the versatility of a double pointed needle. And in this case, there's a pointier tip and a more blunt tip on each of these three needles. But then you have the flexibility of a fixed circular with that little bit of a cable. And so you can knit something in the round by having all of your stitches on just two of those needles and using the third one um, to knit. I like the experience of knitting with these flexi-flips. I ordered U.S. size zero, and I ordered them from Island Wool's. I had been searching for a pair um, after hearing a few different podcasters talk about them. Mary Beth and I had a conversation about them, and I was curious. I'm always curious about new needles for sock knitting. But I had a hard time locating some that were in stock because I guess there was sort of a run on them at the time. And I saw an Instagram post that Island Wool's had them available. So I ordered mine and received them about a month ago. And just this past week, I cast on a new sock project. It's a design project. And I thought I would try using these flips needles for that project. I don't know about you, But when I'm knitting socks with double-pointed needles, when when it comes to the gusset, and before you are able to accomplish decreases on the gusset, there's a point in my knitting where I just feel a little bit skittish about stitches starting to fly off the needles because you have quite a few stitches on the needles at that point, And even if you're knitting on four needles and using your fifth to do the knitting, it just feels a bit untenuous at one point. And I feel that one of the best advantages of these flexi-flips is navigating the gusset of the sock when there are the most stitches on the needles. Another advantage about flexi-flips is that you don't have to worry when storing your knitting, and I know a lot of knitters use sock knitting as on-the-go knitting, and before I purchased my you know, needle minder sets uh, where I can stuff my double-pointed needles and snap them tight to secure all my stitches, I was experiencing quite a few times of a knitting needle sliding out of my sock, stitches being live things unraveling and with flexi flips because they're over eight inches long it's really possible to store all of your stitches on your needles stuff them in a bag jostle them around and your knitting isn't going anywhere it isn't sliding off the needles so that's another distinct advantage i also like the variation in blunt and pointy tips I would prefer the pointy part of the tip to be pointier. It's still not as pointy as most of the double-pointed needles that I use. Um, So unless something is very, very intricate or cabled, I think it's fine. But if you're used to having or you prefer having a very pointy tip on your double-pointed needles, uh, you may be disappointed with the tip on these flexi-flips. I would also like the join to be a bit smoother, and right now that seems to vary from needle to needle. There's one of these needles where there's kind of a bump in the join, and I've worked on smoothing it out a little bit, but it does get caught occasionally as I have been knitting this sock. I've knit... Um, The entire cuff of the sock, all the way down the leg, I did the heel flap, heel turn, and gusset, and now I'm working my way on the foot of this sock, and I have knit it all on these FlexiFlips needles. Another thing that has been very convenient about these FlexiFlips is that I'm able to knit my entire sock from cast-on to finish on one set of needles. I prefer to start with a tubular cast-on, and I always have two, they're very old, um, sort of very rough, seven or, and they might even be eight-inch double-pointed needles that I keep in my sock knitting bag because it's very difficult to cast on 64, or even 72 depending on the intricacy of the sock, it's very difficult to cast on all of those stitches on one regular length DPN. And so I have these quite long DPNs knocking around in my bag specifically for the purpose of casting on. Because with the tubular cast on, you know, it takes a couple of rows before you can establish that cast on and then put, put all the stitches on double pointed needles. So when I saw these and I saw that the length was over eight inches I was curious about doing a tubular cast on with these needles. They're not rigid all the way through because they do have that cording for part of it but it really worked. I was able to put my entire tubular cast on onto these needles and then it was very easy to just transfer it um, half half of the stitches on one needle, half on another, before I started knitting my 2 by 2 rib in the round. So that was very convenient and very interesting to me. Uh, Flexi Flips by Addy. Overall, my opinion of these, my review of these, is positive. I think they could use some improvements, including a little more attention to the join and maybe a little bit pointier tip for the pointy tip end. I think that the, the packaging is extraordinary. They come in a really nice storage tube. I like that a lot um, because it's easy to you know label and store multiple sizes and tubes so you can see them. I like the length. I like the flexibility of the cord. And I really like the act of knitting with them. They're comfortable and they're easy to manipulate. I have not seen any laddering or anything like that in the joins. And they've been really a lot of fun to use. So I recommend trying them, especially if you're a sock knitter who's into trying the latest thing. I think these would be... Worth getting a set and putting them through their pieces. I have only one set of these, so I am not knitting socks in tandem. That is my preferred way to knit socks. But now that I know that these are really pleasant to knit with, I might work on acquiring a second set so that I could knit my socks in tandem. Ever expanding skill set. 2018 is a year of exploration for me in terms of making my own fermented food products and cooking with fermented foods. I couldn't be more pleased about how many people are interested in making this journey with me. Thank you so much for your company. I'm reading your posts and looking at your Instagram feeds with delight And it's really spurring me on to try more things and to keep expanding my own skill set. So far in 2018, I've spent a lot of time making water kefir. Water kefir is a non-dairy fermented beverage that can be flavored with a variety of different ingredients. It has a beautiful effervescence to it. It can also have amazingly beautiful color depending on what you add and I have been really enjoying it as a refreshing beverage and an alternative to alcoholic beverages like wine and beer. Um, I, it is not recommended for me at this point to be consuming alcohol, and while uh, water kefir and all fermented beverages, kombucha, things like that, they do have trace amounts of alcohol, but it's not like consuming traditional alcoholic beverages. So I've been enjoying making and drinking water kefir, and I'll just take a few moments to explain my process a little bit, since I know many listeners are curious about it. In order to make water kefir, you must acquire water kefir grains. Grains are granules. You can obtain them from a mail order source, maybe your health food store. I ordered mine from Cultures for Health, and I I really admire their customer service and their product. You may be able to get water kefir grains from someone else who is making water kefir and has been fortunate enough that their grains are multiplying. First, you need to activate the grains and you discard the product that you make when you activate the grains. And once the grains are activated, then you can begin making batch after batch of water kefir. I make my water kefir by um, dissolving Organic cane sugar in boiling water, and then adding cool water until I have a liquid that's between 65 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. At that point, I add the kefir grains, which have been sitting on the side. I add those to the liquid, cover the jar with cheesecloth, and leave it in a relatively warm environment for. 24 to 72 hours. I've been storing mine upstairs near a heat register and it seems to be very happy in that environment. And I've been leaving my initial fermentation go for 72 hours. I've transferred from a one quart to a two quart jar. So I'm leaving it a little bit longer because I have a a larger quantity of water uh, to ferment. So after the 72 hours, I take my water kefir downstairs and I turn my kitchen into a kind of chemistry lab. Lots of funnels and pouring and swing top bottles and that sort of thing. And I've been experimenting with um, flavoring my water kefir in a variety of different ways. It's possible just to store water kefir and drink as is or flavor At the time that you consume it, like you could add a little bit of juice, fruit juice, to water kefir and then just, you know, have it almost like a little bit of a mixed drink. What I've been doing is adding some different flavorings and then allowing my water kefir to ferment a second time on the countertop in a swing top bottle. I tried grated ginger root that I then pressed through a metal sieve to extract the juice. And then I did another batch where I combined the ginger juice with freshly ground turmeric root juice. That has a beautiful, brilliant orange color and a wonderful taste it's important to consume that beverage with something uh, that you're eating that's a bit fatty because the turmeric must be digested with fat in order for its anti-inflammatory properties to be realized. When I flavor um, the kefir with a root juice like ginger or turmeric, Then I pour the juice and the harvested water kefir into a swing top bottle, close the top of the bottle, and I let that sit on my countertop for 24 to 72 hours. I burp that bottle a couple of times a day when I'm in the kitchen and I think of it, and that just means releasing the swing top and allowing the gases to escape, Over the course of a few days, the mixture becomes very fizzy and effervescent. It's a wonderful drinking experience. And at that point, I store it in the refrigerator. I've also been using um, fresh fruit in combination with my water kefir. So to make that beverage, I use a one-quart wide-mouth jar. I smash some fresh fruit like raspberries or blueberries in the bottom of the jar, then I add the water kefir, and I've been using a special rubberized lid that is particular for fermenting. This rubberized lid fits over the top of a wide mouth jar and then I use just a regular canning screw top lid, but I don't screw the top completely down so it's tight. I leave it so that as gases build up in the liquid, they can escape. And using that as opposed to cheesecloth when I'm fermenting something with fruit keeps the fruit flies away. In the dead of winter I think that's not so problematic but I can imagine trying something like this in the heat of summer and I think it would immediately attract fruit flies. So these rubberized self-burping lids have been really appealing for that purpose. I let any liquid with the fresh fruit in it sit on my countertop for only 48 hours maximum because I really don't want to develop the alcohol content in this beverage, and then I strain it off and I store it again in swing top bottles in my refrigerator. The fruit-flavored kefir is wonderfully tart and sour and effervescent, sort of reminiscent of some of the sour beers that I've been having at uh, microbreweries lately. It's really a lot of fun to drink, and I've been enjoying the process of, of making it and finding different flavorings. I think I might try some real vanilla bean or some homemade vanilla bean extract for a future batch of this water kefir. There's also dairy kefir in my future, but I think before I try that, I'm going to take a look at some recipes in this wild fermentation book by Sander Elix Katz. Two things that I'm really attracted to are sweet potato fly. It's also a beverage, a fermented beverage. It's made with whey and grated sweet potato, It's a product that is traditional in Guyana and I'm really looking forward to trying that. And another thing I'd like to try is paneer. So I have some milk and I think over the course of this weekend I might make my first batch of paneer, which is essentially a farmer's cheese. It involves heat and vinegar, so it's not something that's really extensive in terms of the ingredients needed and then um, farmer cheese is usually consumed in sort of a soft consistency whereas paneer is allowed to press and drain a little bit longer and becomes a firmer cheese that you can slice and you can also cook So it's very traditional in Indian cuisine to cook it in a kind of curry sauce with vegetables and that is something that I would really like to try. I'll let you know all about it in a future podcast. Gratitude journal. I can't close this episode without expressing my gratitude for the kindness of knitting friends near and far who have contacted me with kind words and letters and funny stories and absolutely extraordinary beautiful gifts which overwhelm me and which I can't talk about in any detail uh, without getting very emotional um all of your kindness is a positive difference for me, um, especially over the past couple weeks, which have been pretty tough. Um, this upcoming week is a week of some surgery for me, and all of your kindness has really, it has really made a difference, and I am so very grateful. I look forward to talking with you again in the f- near future. Um, I will be doing knitting and crafting um, as a very important part of my healing process. And I am thankful for all of the friends that I've made, friends near and far in the Fiber community. Um, Your thoughtfulness means so much. And um, Samuel and I are both very, very grateful for your kindness.
0: Acorns jumping off My Chinese house Two ducks in my Spyglass, furry as A mouse, it's a Sweet, sweet nature, nature a Sweet nature Thing It's a Sweet, sweet nature, nature a Sweet nature thing It's a mighty fire It's a mighty mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady, waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stone to sand. It's a sweet Sweet nature, nature, sweet nature nature, nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. play is it a-
1: Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week.